Welcome one and all to the Gorilla Brain Podcast, and this is another episode of Bits of Rage. I am your host, 8BR, and I am going to be sharing some of my rage with you again. And on this episode, we're going to be tackling A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, or as I like to call it, the what the fuck happened in Nightmare on Elm Street. So before I go ripping into A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Shit, I just wanted to point out some of the good things that came out of this movie. So I'm going to give you a little factoids, you know, a little good that came out of it. And then we're really going to rip into this motherfucker. So check it out. They managed to do some amazing things with a budget of only $6 million. It would go on and make $22 million worldwide. Now, a lot of people would see that as a profit, but it was the most underwhelming Nightmare on Elm Street release to date. Now, there are many contributing factors to this. And none of them are good. I know that I said that we would be doing the good, but I just can't think of very many things this film did right. Maybe Super Freddy. I thought that was pretty fun, but that's about it. So now we're really going to have to rip into this piece of shit. Oh, God. Now you're going to hear a lot of different words out of my mouth, but the most frequently used will be rushed and edited. Because that essentially sums up this entire film. So here you go. This is going to be my very first rush of the episode. Okay. They had a full poster hanging in the theaters promoting this movie before they even had a script. You kidding me? This was just Robert Shea doing his stupid Robert Shea bullshit that he is notorious for over at New Line. So New Line would go on to contact John Skip and Craig Spector to write this film in a rush. There's number two. Now, while they did finish an original draft, New Line only kept just just one phrase from that entire script, and that's, it's a boy. Fucking lame. Okay, I'm going to read you an excerpt from their original script. Now, you tell me which is better. Alice shrieks and runs through the lab, and as she does, the beakers start to fill up with bloody goo. She hears Freddy laughing and sees that the goo is turning to screaming bloody fetuses writhing in their glass prisons. Freddy comes in, looks at the screaming fetuses, and taps his forefinger blade against one of the jars. Freddy chuckling, coochie coochie coo, come to papa. Alice, I beat you, you bastard. I sent you to hell. Freddy runs his glove across the stacks of books, piling a thick, dusty volume from one of the shelves. He flips it open. Hell, it's a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. I told you before, I'm eternal. I'm a part of you. Freddy chucks the book. You think, therefore I am. Alice turns and runs further and further into the stacks until she runs into a dead end. She's trapped. Freddy chuckles behind her, low and menacing. She turns and faces him defiantly. Alice says, you just go ahead and kill me, Kruger. You're not getting anyone out of me this time. Freddy chuckles. That's what you think. I've got plans for you. And it all starts right here. He reaches out and and lightly touches her belly with his four-finger blade. The blade sparks, and Alice goes rigid, as if she'd been touched by a high-voltage power line. He smiles. Freddy, ah, that hits the spot. He withdraws the blade, and Alice collapses, sickly reeling. Alice, what did you do to me? Freddy, not you, Junior there, pointing to her womb. He's my little piggy now. That is fucking awesome. I want that movie. But but New Line said no. Said no to that. So instead what we got was, We'll see, bitch. We'll see. How fucking lame is that? 
And can we please, just for one minute, talk about the awful, awful makeup effects of this film. Freddy Krueger has never looked worse than he has in this film. He looked like a, a, a withered heroin addict, man. He's got, like, black under his eyes. Like, it's really apparent, you know? You got Freddy Krueger over there looking like heroin prices just skyrocketed. And he can't afford it. But uh, let's let's go back to the, to the scripting. Okay, because this is an awful fucking script. And we got to place the blame where the blame should be placed. So let's put the blame on. <laughs> Leslie Bohem, William Wisher, and David J. Shaw. Those are all the motherfuckers that ruined this film, writing-wise. And even that writing team couldn't get it done in time. They had to call, they had to get another writer named Michael DeLuca to finish off the script. Just days before shooting. Rushed. Oh, that's number three. So what you're telling me is four people as a hive mind couldn't come up with a somewhat decent script. But you tossed the good script, because I read you, I just read you the excerpt. Yeah, you, you tossed that script for that garbage that we got. I can see now how you got the bottom of the barrel for writers. You know, Stephen King and Frank Miller said, nah, we cool, dog. We, we ain't doing that shit. We ain't touching this garbage. Now, let's flip the script and talk about Stephen Hopkins, okay? Now, he was the director for the film, but he did what he could with what he had. And what he had was a rushed, keyword here on this episode, product. And he was just given four weeks to shoot the damn thing and then giving another four weeks to edit. There's number one for edit. Now, I have been impressed with some Rush products like Event Horizon and, and other such movies like that. They took some a negative and turned it into a complete positive. But this fucking turd, between bumbling writers and awful, awful fucking actors, and I, and I get it, man, it's horror, okay? We're not going to win a goddamn Academy Award. I get it. But for fuck's sake, man, you're putting out a six mil budget... You didn't put it into the goddamn practical effects, I can tell you that much. You definitely didn't put it into the fucking writing. So where did all where did the budget go? You you filmed most of it in, in the goddamn warehouse. So where did the budget go? Robert Englund? Or maybe it went into the nude body doubles that you used in the opening scene? I, I don't I don't know what happened here. I mean, you couldn't have put up a little bit extra to get Lisa Wilcox to be naked? I mean, I wouldn't have minded. And poor, poor Lisa Wilcox, you know, God bless her. She's still acting small roles, but this film essentially ruined her. I'm sorry. She was decent in four, but in this one, she was just so fucking whiny. And, uh, uh. I know it was a paycheck, girl, but damn. You didn't have to go committing career suicide for this shit. But let's move on to the actual events in the film. These have to be some of the most ridiculous death scenes in all of horror. They're comedic. None of them have any horrorish value to them. They're laughable at best. But after a little bit of research, you go to find out that these were shaved down kills because they wanted to avoid an X rating. An X rating. Isn't that usually reserved for fucking porn? You know, honestly, I think this film would have benefited from an X rating because then no one would have saw it and we all would have been saved. So to avoid the X rating, you you shaved down your product and made the shit for Nickelodeon, essentially. But I get what you were doing, New Line and Robert Shea specifically. 
you were trying to push out a product. It was hot, man. The slashers were hot in the 80s. And this is in the late 80s. This is 89. So, you know, you had Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, all in the same year. Slashers was booming, baby. But this film makes Halloween 5 and Jason Takes Manhattan look like fucking masterpieces compared now, you ask me any day of the week, who are you picking, Jason, Freddy, or Michael? I'm going to say Freddy, always, except this year in 1989. Now, granted, Takes Manhattan and Hun Revenge of Michael Myers were fucking something. They might get their own episode in the future, but they were still better than this. And just, oh, God, you could have you done so much more with this film. You, you had the potential. You had the budget. What went wrong? And there's no research that I can do to figure out what exactly happened. So many different factors contributed to this. And it blows my mind. When you can say that the Dan kill was the best kill in the whole movie, when he ended up looking like, you know, fucking rip-off Terminator on a motorcycle, what does that say about your movie, man? The Greta kill was downright laughable. He's just shoveling shit into her mouth. and uh, God. Mm. And the Mark kill. Oh, my God. Like, I'm a huge comic book guy. And, and Super Freddy was a pretty funny idea. I'm not going to lie on that. But to have Mark shredded into paper, like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, this isn't even a bits of rage anymore. This is just a confused rage. Downright laughable rage. Like, there's no rage. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm still laughing all the So, this series is a victim of its own success. They figured that they could just shovel out anything they wanted, and the fans are going to gobble it up. Turns out, they were right, so the gamble paid off. But now, we are, what, 30-some-odd years later, and we're looking back on this and just fucking laughing at it because it's so bad. Now, I've thought for a while now that, you know, Freddy 2 was the worst of the franchise. But then after further review of Part 5, I'm just like, it's really not. At least The Nightmare on Elm Street 2 had somewhat of an edge to it. It was dark and gritty and kind of set up Part 3 for that same kind of feel, which, you know, is a step in the right direction. But Robert Shea and New Line, they, they knew... They knew that they were going to make millions of dollars off of this because Freddy was such a box office phenomenon. And going back to the victim of their own success, this is around the same time that Freddy's Nightmares, a TV show, would launch. Kind of like a Tales from the Crypt, if you're not familiar with it. It's a decent show. Go watch it. Freddy's only the host. He's kind of like the Crypt Keeper in a way. You know how the Crypt Keeper has nothing to do really with the show except the beginning and end? Kind of the same deal with Freddy. It lasted about two seasons and has never been released. So if you can find it online, go get it. I suggest it. But anyway, back to this. Merchandise for Freddy Krueger has never been this high in 1989. You've got t-shirts. You've got posters. You've got magnets. you got fucking talking dolls. I still have mine. But because of these things, 
they knew that they could just put out whatever they wanted. People are going to go. They're conditioned. It's kind of like the Saul films, right? They just kept going down and down and down, but people kept going to them because it's like a yearly thing. You always go around that time, around Halloween. It's like tradition. So every year you would get a new Halloween. You would get a new Friday the 13th. You would get a new Nightmare on Elm Street. So you went. So did this movie make its money because its fan base was conditioned? I'm going to say that all the research that I've done points to yes. Like, even even the fucking quips in this movie were just lame. Don't dream and drive. <laughs> what? Bad year, Dan. <laughs> this is so fucking bad. I know, I know. I totally sounded like Beetlejuice in there. Right? Fool your friends, fun and party. Yeah, I know. So now I only essentially watch this when I'm marathoning. I, I have no urge to just go, mm, dream child's on. Fuck yeah, let's watch this shit. No, sir. It's definitely a skippable one now. And it's only in my older age because as a kid, I fucking loved this movie. I mean, this was the tits growing up. But what the fuck happened? I got older and I became bitter and angry. And now here we are on a podcast talking about dream child. God, my life has gone downhill. So this episode isn't to trigger anybody. It's not to piss off anybody. It's just me stating whatever I want because this is my fucking show. You tune into my show to listen to my bullshit. And if you've hung around this long, I respect that. You want to argue, you know, we can take it online and we can put it on a public forum. That's cool too. Prove me wrong. Tell me why this film deserves higher praise than what I give it. Now, I'm not saying I'm the end-all, be-all fucking reviewer on the internet, but, you know, who else are you listening to right now that's talking about Dream Child? Nobody. And there's a reason for that. Because you are all blinded by nostalgia. Watch it again. Turn off the fanboy, turn off the childhood, and watch it as an actual film. All aspects of it. Now, hopefully this episode has saved future generations from being fooled like I was for so long. That's what we've devolved into, an educational podcast. I'm here to save the masses. I watch the crap so you don't have to. But if you willingly want to watch this, that's on you. That's fine. Me, it's a no-go for me. Now, how Robert Englund defends this film... I get it, man. That's your legacy, dude. You're you're Robert Englund. You know, you're you're always gonna be Freddy Krueger. I get it. You can defend it till your death. Hopefully it will never happen. But but don't sit there and act like it wasn't a paycheck. Because we know goddamn well it was. And it totally showed in a Nightmare on Elm Street 5, the dream child. Alright, so that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. If you are not familiar, then you can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Castbox, and all audio platforms. You can catch me on the Twitter machine. You can catch me at 8BitRay. That is with the number 8 bit ray. If you want to talk about this, let's talk about it. If not, then just accept my opinion as gospel. You can also find us on Instagram. Just search up the Gorilla Brain Podcast. We will pop up, and you can go there for cheeky reviews from Born2083, a.k.a. Sean, who will be returning very soon. Now, I know we haven't been consistent in the episodes lately, but man, life has been really fucking hectic, especially for me. Sean's schedule, our schedules just aren't linking up, but me personally, it's been hell. You know, I don't do this for a living. This is a hobby. This is fun for me. And I have been just so overworked lately that it's just unreal, and I have no energy or ambition to just want to record like every time I get up to the mic I'm just like Duh. 
So hopefully these are going to kick up again because my schedule has returned to normal. And oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. The biggest plug of all. Make sure that you follow the Geek World All-Stars. That's geek underscore stars. We will pop up on the Twitter machine. Follow us because we have the goddamn best geek podcasting out there. Period. The end. So Wizard Podcast, Cult 45, Superheroes Speak, Pop Prism Power, Fans on Patrol. We're all here and we're all fucking entertaining. And we love each and every one of you and all of your support. So go listen to those other shows. Put them in now in your your search bars. Look them up and let's do it. And that's going to do it for me. So I will catch you motherfuckers down the road. Ah!